0: Hello and welcome to The Stands with Engel Dunphy. Now, it's 100 days since Russia invaded Ukraine on February 24th. The idea, we believe, was a swift takeover of Kiev, the capital of Ukraine, the installation of a puppet government, and to vanish, Vladimir Zelensky, the Ukraine president. That's not the way it worked out, and for a long time, Russia has suffered a series of reverses and, of course, its idea that it began the war with a divided Europe and, indeed, an unsettled and divided NATO would not be able to take them on. They were wrong about that. Sweden and Finland are going to join NATO now. NATO is stronger and European unity, well, it's not fallen apart as many people imagined it would, although it could be more solid. What's happening on the battlefield is, of course, the big determinant here, and to discuss this now, it's a pleasure to welcome to the stand Senator Tom Clonan. Tom was elected to the Senate in March when Ivana Bachik left to become leader of the Labour Party. And Tom is a former soldier he was an officer commanding the Irish troops under a UN mission in the Lebanon. This coincided with Israel's punitive operation Grapes of Wrath against Hezbollah, which culminated in the massacre of refugees in the village of Cana in April 1996. He's a very experienced man in military affairs, and indeed he was a very important whistleblower when he exposed the way women in the Irish Armed Forces were treated and was commended for his work in that effort. Tom, thank you very much for joining us. This may seem like a simple question. Who's winning?
2: Oh, goodness, there are no winners in this war. Um, But at day 100, um, as you mentioned in your introduction, there has been no swift collapse or decapitation of Zelensky. And that's what Putin gambled on. That was his overreach uh, back in in February when he made that uh, massive armoured advance on uh, Kiev from his positions in Belarus and just up to the northeast of Kiev on the the Russian border, like straight from Russian territory. And that failed completely. Uh, And he would have been uh, missing his gamble or his overreach on Russia's experience in Georgia in 2008, another country that had been earmarked for membership of NATO by George W. Bush um, uh, in in April of 2008. And the Russians responded very swiftly to that uh, announcement by President Bush by invading Georgia. uh, And they invaded uh, and got right in, destroyed uh, Georgia's defenders and managed to seize one-fifth of their territory, which they still hold today. They did all of that in less than a fortnight, they turned it all around in twelve days. Yes. and this was the template um, that Putin was making his uh, very ambitious plans for for Georgia. And um, so, where we are now at day one hundred is where we're we're into the scenario, which really forces the Ukrainian military to hold ground uh, in in open territory in in Donbass. Yes. So the the kind of uh, defense that Ukraine was able to offer up to now, which was nimble, agile, consisting of ambushes, um, very imaginative and creative, uh, very often unconventional maneuvers on the battlefield against an enemy that was trying to you know, line up its forces, get them into line, and you know, trying to organize their combined arms maneuvers over wide areas. Uh, you know, the, the Ukrainians were able to strike at weak points and then withdraw to attack again. But now, because of what uh, Putin has declared, his, which was from the very outset, a special military operation in Donbass, the Russians have concentrated all of their forces on a 40-kilometer uh, front. Yes, In Donbass. And at the moment, they're shelling continuously. So they're using artillery to continuously rain down shells and missiles on 40 different towns and villages on that 40 kilometer front. And also on the fixed Ukrainian defenses. This is a really important point, uh, Eamon, that in 2014, when the Russians came in to Luhansk and Donetsk, they seized about 60% of those provinces or oblasts. Um, and the Ukrainian military dug in big trench systems and prepared fixed defences uh, west of the Russian positions to stop them getting any further. And it's those fixed defences that the Russians are concentrating on now. They're trying to grind their way forward and they're trying to, uh, if you like, rest some kind of a victory, inverted commas, for Putin in Donbas in yes. order that he can sort of save face. But that has forced Uh, the Ukrainian military to, if you like, and I don't, I mean this to sound disrespectful, but it has forced them to stop and stand and fight to hold back the Russian advance, to stop them getting a breakout, to stop them being able to race forward, even as far west as the Dnieper River, which would kind of more or less cut Ukraine in two. So they're trying to contain the Russians there.
0: Now, there's a city called Sever Donetsk, which is very important on this chessboard, as it were, and we understand that the Russians are close to taking that city.
2: Yeah, and this would be <clears throat> significant in that <clears throat> Severodonetsk and the neighbouring town of Lyshansk, the, the two towns are very, very close together. They're almost contiguous. Um, if They're the last two towns in the Luhansk oblast that are controlled by the Ukrainian government. Um, And yesterday, the Russians got a foothold in the eastern suburbs of Severodonetsk. They got to get troops in tentatively beginning the the urban combat to push the Ukrainian defenders out. Now, this is significant for a number of reasons. Um, Today, as we speak, the Russians have expanded that uh, presence in Severodonetsk. They now hold 70% of the city. According to Sergei Haidai, who's the the Ukrainian governor of the Luhansk Oblast, yes. So they're they're making progress, but in order in in making that progress, they have completely destroyed Severodonetsk in the same way that they destroyed Mariupol. Yes. So ninety percent of the buildings in in Severodonetsk have been damaged. Two thirds of the homes and apartments complexes have been completely destroyed, and the original population of one hundred thousand has evacuated down to, they estimate, just under 10,000 who are trapped in the ruins of the city with the Ukrainian defenders, in in much the same way yes. um, the citizens of Mariupol were trapped. Now, if, Se- if Severodonetsk falls in the next couple of days, which it may well do, then L- will will fall, and Putin can then claim that he has now, if you like, taken all of the Luhansk oblast, which declared itself an independent republic, and this is something that um, Sergei Lavrov has said in recent days. He said that the liberation, and I'm quoting directly, of the Donetsk and Luhansk regions recognized that Federation is an unconditional priority for the Kremlin. And he says for the rest of Ukraine, the people there, he said, should decide their own futures in their own areas. So that's a sort of a hint that maybe this is where the political aim lies in in, in if you like a limit of exploitation uh, in luhansk but they have to be very careful if the russians manage to make a breakout across all of that open territory between the if you like the border of luhansk oblast and the dnieper river to the west then you know they could try to annex almost 50% of uh, ukraine's territory so that's something Zelensky and the West have to absolutely prevent, they must contain that. One other thing about this offensive aim, um, and, and you we're going to be hearing more about this in the coming days, the, the Russians have two interesting axes of advance. One is to the north uh, of Severodonetsk, actually to the north and the west of it at Izium. That was their jump-off point, yes. and they were, initially, they were initially trying to take uh, Slavyansk, and Kramatorsk, because they're two major Ukrainian military hubs, but they were unable to do so. They were held back. But they also have an axis of advance from the south, from around about Mariupol and Kherson. And if they can link up with their forces at uh, now, now encroaching in Severodonetsk, in Severodonetsk, they actually encircle uh, thousands and thousands of, of, of Ukrainian defenders in the open ground there East of Kramatorsk and Slavyansk. Slavyansk, as we speak, uh, is is being shelled by Russian artillery. So something that's a very tough decision for Zelensky in the coming days. Should he withdraw those troops in order to contain the Russians further west, or should should they kind of fight to the death, which may literally be the case for them, um, and you know just try and frustrate Russian ambitions? But there is no doubt that. If and when Severodonetsk and, and Lysychansk fall in the coming days, that's Luhansk uh, uh, occupied. Putin will then turn his full attention to uh, Donetsk and try to link up, as I said, with the territory they've expanded into um around Mariupol and Kherson. And that, I think, for for Putin, would give him a kind of a a victory. Yes. Again, Verticom is having destroyed those areas that he could present to the Kremlin and to the Russian people in order to survive in office to, I suppose, lick his wounds and and plan for another day.
1: Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds.
2: Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right.
0: Yeah, now there's a vital issue in play in this region, and that is Ukraine, which is a huge supplier of global food, particularly grains. And they usually export about 5 million tons. And at the moment, it's down to between 200,000 and a million tons. And in Brussels yesterday, the European Commission president, Ursula von der Leyen, said that Russia was not only blocking the export of Ukrainian wheat, it is bombarding warehouses where it is stored deliberately. There are also mining fields where the Ukrainians could have planted their harvest for next year. If he succeeds in the East and the South, as he appears to be doing, he can effectively block any Ukrainian exit to the sea in order to export its wheat and grain. So that's the big picture here, is that they, they don't have Odessa, but they have the sea around that area, and it's controlled by the Russians. So that's, is that a, a big consideration? It's, I know it's not strictly military, but the Russians say if they can cause hunger in the West – and particularly in the poorer nations in Africa, they can create a migration problem for Europe that will be terrifying.
2: Yes, and like th- this is total war on the part of Putin. Um, a lot of the destruction of cities, towns, and farmland, and farm machinery, and grain stores and and silos for for grains and is is very reminiscent of the the, the Nazi. Advance through Ukraine during World War II. Yes. Policy. And again, I suppose, <clears throat> Eamon, like Putin is one of the world's most wealthy, richest men. Yes. He, he's, he's, he's super wealthy beyond most people's imagination. And those that back him in the Kremlin are similarly oligarchs and very, very wealthy people. This is a rich man's war. Right. And it's really about the access to the sea of Asov, and the mineral coal you know the the fossil fuels that are that donbass is very very rich in it, as as the world reaches you know peak oil and you know as we compete internationally for energy and alternative sources of energy that's what this is about i mean putin has dressed this up in nationalist language saying that this is about restoring greater russia to its original borders even Hinting at the glory of the former Soviet Union as an imperial power, recreating borders right up to Poland, yes. uh, Lithuanian, and so on. But in actual fact, this this is about money and power, and Putin is quite happy to allow his own troops to be butchered uh, uh, in Ukraine because their their casualty rates have been very very high, and is very happy, you know, to to contemplate using starvation and hunger as a tactic in, uh, you know, trying to leverage pressure on on the West. This is his version of the, you know, the sixth round of sanctions and embargoes placed on Russia by the European Union in the last 24 to 48 hours, you know, where we're looking for a complete embargo on Russian oil imports, with just some exceptions now with pipe oil for some of the countries who's, who, who are trying to recalibrate and and reboot and rebalance, uh, reconfigure their their economies to to other sources of of energy and oil. So it's it's total warfare. And you know the point you made about creating a migration and hunger yes. crisis in in North Africa and in in our near abroad in the Mediterranean area. Yes. He hinted at that. If you recall, just prior to the beginning of the conflict, uh, refugees were funneled through Belarus to the border with Poland. Yes. As a sort of a hint of this is what we we will destabilize your borders, we'll create havoc within the European Union. They've observed already that the uh, refugee crisis uh, empowered people like Orbán in Hungary and sowed yeah. disunity and chaos amongst the European Union sort of solidarity and projects. So he he's using every weapon at his disposal to <laughs> exert pressure on the West. But I do think that there is a limit to what uh, Putin can achieve. Um, the, you know, one would hope that he cannot expand East and take the entire Ukrainian coastline. And I'm sure that NATO and the West will are funneling weapons into Ukraine to ensure that that doesn't happen. And also, you know, the idea of a breakout from the that 40-kilometer front in Donbass Donbas really the the russians have shown that they're not really capable of a rapid uh, armored advance anywhere in this like this renewed operation in donbas this fight for luhansk and donetsk started just uh, in the the second last week of april so they've been at it now for for 6 weeks and and their gains have been very very incremental like they've taken a few small tanks, uh in the last couple of days svitlodarsk Lie man, but in doing so, they have destroyed those areas, made them uninhabitable. Yes. And they've also lot of, lost a lot of troops. There's was a very interesting incident um, dur- during the last week, where, in their advance on several Donetsk, um, the Russians tried to cross uh, the siversky donetsk River uh, using pontoon bridges, and every time they, they tried to do it, they were shelled by the Ukrainians, who were obviously observing them using drone technology with pinpoint accuracy. And the Russian officers forced their engineers and troops to repeat that exercise nine times. Right. In in a twenty four, and they've lost. It's estimated that they lost four hundred troops killed in action in a a river crossing, and may have lost up to as many eighty as eighty tanks and armored fighting vehicles. So, so Putin obviously, the the pressure is on the Russian military to, you know. Rest some kind of a victory from from yes. from this mess for Putin at any cost whatsoever, and they're using artillery missile systems i've been saying to you in in previous episodes of the stand that they you know robbed of their capacity or the ability or the competency to maneuver effectively in the field with conventional uh, tactics they're now resorting to their sheer uh, metal power. The, the meat grinder of their artillery and missile systems, of which they have thousands and thousands of platforms.
0: Right. Now, every time President Zelensky speaks, as he does daily, to the European Union this week, to Washington, to Paris, to London, he always asks for weapons, 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 and the firepower he feels he needs to defend his country and for his troops to defend his country. President Biden said this week that he would give them artillery and weapons and he made a caveat. He said we we won't give them anything that can reach Russia. In other words, there is a fear apparently that if they get weapons that can effectively take the war over the border to Russia, that would be a fear for obvious reasons, because NATO could be seen then, or could be said to be seen, to be attacking Russian soil. But how badly do they need the weapons? And I'm sure they need them very badly. And how circumspect do they have to be the West in what weapons they give them?
2: Well, I think, th- just to, to explain to our listeners what's happening, so the, the, the Russians are using heavy artillery and multi launch rocket systems to basically pulverize that area uh, of containment where they know the Ukrainians must stand and fight. Yes. So they're firing into their trench systems, their pre prepared uh, defensive positions. And the way that works is you, you have an artillery forward observer who'll either be on the ground or in the air, or they might use drone technology to pinpoint targets. So the, 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 the artillery observer is up forward with the ground troops and can physically see the, where the Ukrainian defences are. Now, the Russians will have very, very good intelligence. They'll have the grid references um, for, for all of these defensive positions that the Ukrainians have prepared because they've been, they've been in situ for eight years. So these are called, you know, pre-designate targets. So the, the artillery is about 40 or 50 kilometres to the rear. So it's immune from any Ukrainian counterattacks. So the Russians are free to fire. So they call in that fire. They adjust fire onto the targets. They observe the fall of shot. And then by what they call uh, range and lateral fire or concentration of fire, they can mass artillery down, barrages down, with very pinpoint accuracy onto Ukrainian positions. Uh, High explosives, uh, some of the shells are penetrating that will actually you know, go into the earth into their, their ground positions and then detonate with time fuses and so on. It's absolutely devastating. And it's also very, very cheap, relatively yes. speaking, for them to do this. So the only response to that, the only way to to respond to that is to have what what what's called counter battery fire to suppress that. And that, in other words, means that they must meet like with like. So the, the Ukrainians have been begging for our medium range artillery systems, which would be like the US-manufactured M777 155 millimeter howitzer, which again can throw shells up to 30, 40 kilometres out, which would get the Russians in the rear and would really disrupt their capacity to maintain right. that sustained barrage. Because normally in conventional tactics, the, the principle, it's called shoot and scoot. When you when you fire artillery at the enemy, when the Russians fire an artillery salvo, you shoot and then you, you have to get out of grid area because the counter-battery fire will destroy you. But the Russians have been doing this with impunity from fixed positions because the Ukrainians don't as yet have the capacity to respond. Yes, was- and, and, if, and if the West wants two things, if they want the Ukrainians to survive this part of the war, if they want their forces to be able to withdraw in a controlled way, intact, alive, and if they want to prevent a Russian breakout, they're going to have to supply the Ukrainian military with these artillery systems.
0: Right. And Zelensky also said yesterday that if he beats us if he wins this war you're next i mean that has been a constant refrain and places like moldova which is not neither in the eu or in nato but also lithuania and poland even is it your view tom that you know this is Putin in for the long haul and he's going to destroy anything he can't take and Mariupol is a good example of that and you're telling us several Donetsk also. It seems almost irreversible some of the things. Mariupol, it's impossible to envisage it ever being a city again and I wonder where you think this is heading and, and also... To Zelensky's point about your next, in other words, this guy is on a is on a roll, and if he gets a few good results, as he appears to be getting in the east and the south, then we don't know where he's going to stop.
2: Well, he has survived, which is extraordinary. Putin has survived. He's almost, you know, he's a hundred days into this conflict with very little to show for it, yeah. other than other than blood. Uh, you know, destruction. thousands of Russian dead. Um, we don't know what the the numbers are for Ukrainian and or, or civilians. Only the the figures that are released by uh, President Zelensky's uh, regime. It's 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 just destruction. With very little, you know, there has been no dramatic reversal um, of events for the initial Russian misstep or overreach. So. Putin has been extraordinarily lucky to survive that. Now, I think my, my own subjective opinion, limited as it is, is that if they succeed in taking all of the political boundaries of Luhansk and Donetsk, the, the, the full oblasts, they may stop there. Because initially, the numbers of troops that they committed to this invasion 150, 160, 170,000 troops that's as much as you could reasonably expect to do, was to maybe consolidate the hold that they had originally and maybe expand it to some extent. But that's all you can do. You certainly could never occupy a country of 45 million people with that number of troops. No, Because you, you did be, you'd you be into an endless um, counterinsurgency operation. So Putin has survived for now. He may be able to produce some sort of a victory from this. Um, but, but there is no... Could Zelensky... No, there is, could Zelensky there, sorry, Tom, you go ahead. Yeah, sorry, just to finish the point. But there's no way out for Putin. Yeah. he's survived for now. He's turning 70 and um, he has a, he, he can't retire and go no, to no. live in. <laughs> he can't go to live in, you no. know, he can't, or he can't escape. So at some point in the near future, um, he, he may run the dice, dice again. You know, having, have, having learned from this conflict, having learned from their mistakes and uh, they may be emboldened to try and take all of the coastline. So I do agree with Zelensky that if they're not, uh, if you like, decisively beat and pushed back, yes. they will come back for another bite. And my guess is that they would try to come down the coastline and take Odessa, because if they take Odessa, then they can link up with Transnistria and Moldova. And then you've got a Crescent yes. um, that, that surrounds, uh, would remain of Ukraine and it would really destabilize Romania uh, and would cause a great deal of alarm in the Baltic states so i think zelensky's correct in that putin and putin would do this again to ga- maybe guarantee another four or five years in yes. the kremlin before he has a mysterious accident or that, slips in the shower or has yeah. a stroke you Let me know have so he's
0: two more questions tom one is about zelensky and if, for, as you suggest, the Russians take the Donbass, all of it, Donetsk, Luhansk, and they can claim a victory there because they, they had about 60% of it, as you said before. Now they have it all, they can claim a victory, and, of course, they have a staging post there. Can Zelensky live with that? Will Ukraine accept that? It seems on the my reading of it, which doesn't count for anything like yours, is that Zelensky couldn't settle for that. The other question is this. On Russian television, 48 hours ago, on a nightly talk show, one of the respected, quote-unquote, analysts of this war started talking about the Third World War. And another guest said, the Third World War has already started. Does that yeah. make sense to you?
2: Well, I think, this, I think the second Cold War has started. Yeah. And I think it's, it's, it's significant that the United States will not, uh, has stated, President Biden has stated, they will not provide weapon systems that would allow Ukraine or any other actor to encroach on Russia's borders. Yeah. So I think they're sending, uh, as, as President Biden did at the very outset, they're signaling that they will tolerate a certain amount of annexation. And I, that, that's tough to say, but that seems to be the, the back office position. Henry Kissinger came out in yeah. the last couple of days to yeah. say that Zelensky, you know, that he should be pragmatic, that he should accept certain losses in order to avoid, you know, uh, a, a greater conflagration. And, you know, in terms of would he be able to accept it and live with it, people have to remember that Russia took, One fifth of Georgia's territory, and they hold ground in Abkhazia and Ossetia. They've held that territory now for 14 years, and we just that—that's just it. That's their buffer zone between themselves and Georgia and Turkey, which is a one of NATO's largest standing armies. So, if they if they take Donbas and seek to, there's not really a lot people can do because the Russians will be well able to. Because it's it's. Directly contiguous to their land border in Kursk, the Kursk region, they can reinforce, um, you know, at, at, at will and create very, very detailed defenses there. And it, it reminds me of, um, a, a quote that I think is attributed to President Obama. An intractable chronic crisis is always preferable to war. Yes. And, you know, at a certain point, you know, Putin will be succeeded by somebody else. Um, Zelensky will be succeeded in turn by somebody else. And, you know, we, we, we have to start thinking about how or what is the future relationship between um, Europe and the Russian Federation. Um, there are some great books out. There's a great book, uh, Prisoners of Geography. Um, yes. I'm, I'm struggling to recall the, the, the author's name, but, but he, he predicts that in this century, Eventually, Russia, the Russian Federation, and Europe will align more closely, um, as the you know the Asian powers continue to you know really dominate um, the 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 world's political geopolitical landscape, and that you know Ru- Russia at a certain point will probably you know realize it, it's it's European uh, alignment, and that what is happening today in in uh, in Ukraine, may may sadly and tragically appears kind of a, I suppose the beginning of a cold war, but um, maybe a turning point in terms of you know where we're headed. Like Europe is now arming itself, and um, the the NATO alliance has been reinforced. So yes. I, I think we're into a period of cold war, which you know may may lead. In, in in to a deterioration or a detente and improvement i don't think Russia wants to be a rogue state which it now is has the status of a rogue state with those awful embargoes and sanctions yeah. placed upon it um you know a cost benefit analysis eventually has to assert itself in the kremlin and people when they're in that succession planning for putin will say look we have to get back into the world community and you know R- the russian people will not tolerate the type of autocracy that they've endured um you know for for much longer i mean china's greatest challenge is trying to contain the ambitions and aspirations of its own people and and russia will find itself in that space very if if not already there very but it's what what they're doing at the moment is is unsustainable
0: okay tom we're very grateful to you for joining us that's senator tom Clonan, and uh, he is a man with a distinguished military career and also Uh, We hope a senator for a long time for Trinity College. And we're very grateful to Tom, to all of you for listening. That's all we have time for now. We'll talk to you soon.
2: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen